All right, just like that, we are live with Coach B. How are you, my friend? I am fantastic, Carl. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, dude, this is uh, so cool. And, and it's cool because you and I have actually been podcasting together for, for a while on the Meta Athletes uh, Playbook podcast. And to be able to do it here is uh, pretty special. So thank you for taking the time and making it happen. You're, you're at work right now. You're in the office. I am. I am. And I'm really humbled, too. Like I've said on the, on the Meta Athletes podcast and to you personally, like I remember watching videos with you and Kelly Starrett in the early 2010s um, era. So um, I'm very excited to be able to speak with you now, too, because I remember those days of you helping Kelly with some some of his videos as well. Yeah, that's a, that was a special time. And it's so crazy to uh, connect with people who found me during that time and to see uh, their evolution and to see my evolution, to see that we, we continue to kind of like weave in and out of each other's lives. So uh, pretty special. And uh, just, just so everybody kind of knows a little bit about you, uh, who are you? What do you do? Uh, yeah, what is work? You're, you're at work right now. What, what is it that, that is your profession? Yeah, uh, I'm a Division One strength conditioning coach. I've been one for well over 20 years now. Um, I've you know, I knew I wanted to be a strength conditioning coach when I was a senior in high school. Fitness and exercise and nutrition and, and performance has always kind of really dominated my life. I have a passion for athletics. And then when I found out that you could have a career of helping athletes improve and athletes get better, I was really fortunate to be able to find my way to the University of Connecticut and be able to start volunteering and interning there as a young professional. And it, it's it was really influential, the people that I met during my time there, as well as the contacts and the network that I've been able to make. But it's really, it's been my life. It's been my life and it's been my career since since I was 18 years old. And I've been fortunate to be able to perform it at a, at a number of Division One universities. And um, where my current place is, is Quinnipiac University. I'm in Connecticut. And I've been over, I've been here for going on my 15th year now, which is pretty incredible to think about it it's a it's a it's a long amount of time to be able to spend at one place but I was able to build the program from scratch there was no previous strength conditioning coach before me so it's been a unique opportunity to be able to impart a culture impart a belief system impart a philosophy upon our student athletes and and to be able to see it grow our program grow has been really really rewarding and the success that's come along with it too yeah, that's amazing. I'm I'm curious. I I kind of know, but I'm curious about uh your your day to day. What what does a a strength and conditioning coach uh do? Especially a D one a Division one strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. What 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 does your day look like? Right now you're in the office. You're talking to me. But um yeah, are you in the weight room or uh how does it go? Yeah. So. So my office is in the weight room, and um, the, the day the day to day changes depending on what time of the year you're in and what kind of sports you work with. I'm fortunate if I get to be able to work with our four winter sports: so men's women's basketball and men's women's ice hockey. So today um, is a day where uh, our hockey teams, for example, they travel. They travel. They're playing um, in in a, in a different state, so they had to travel for the weekend. They play a weekend series away. And I've got our our women's ice hockey team is going to train later today. So today's the day that we train. Um, and then our basketball teams, uh, I'll, see our, I'll see one of our teams later today. So it depends when we're in season. It depends if it's a practice day, if it's a, pr- a training day, if it's a practice and a training day, if it's a game day. What we do kind of depends on where we are within the frame of a week. 
Um, and that schedule is going to look completely different if we were in our off season, where I'd probably see everybody every single day of the week. And what we would do from a training standpoint is going to change. Now, with our schedule at the university that I kind of work with right now, it's it, it's pretty it's nice because a lot of our kids we have uh, training blocks that are blocked out in the middle of the day, where they practice and they'll train. So uh, it's 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 not super early mornings and it's it's not super early uh, late nights. It's it's a nice schedule to be able to train and practice when it's optimal. Um, so nobody has to wake up super early and, and, and lose sleep. So it's been a, it's a nice schedule to be able to, to, to really improve our performance and really development. That's awesome. And, and how much do you do, uh, teamwork versus one-on-one? Is, yeah. So is, the is there a nice little division there? Yeah, so the majority of what we do do, it, it's run like a practice and the way our coaching staff would kind of run a practice where um, we would, we'll train together as a team and we run things pretty much like like a practice would run. It's very organized, it's efficient, um, it's disciplined and it's, and it's structured because we don't want to waste time. Like when we work with collegiate athletes in a collegiate weight room, we, we do have time restrictions. And we don't want to monopolize their time because they do have other demands they're going to pull that pull upon them as, as student athletes too. Like they've got to go to class, they got to eat, they've got to meet with study groups, they've got to go to practice, they got to watch film, they got to meet, they got to meet with with their coaches, they got to do all these types of things. So when we train, we have to make sure that it's very efficient, and so we're going to run it like practice. And just like a team practice would be run, if you have any, if you anybody, if you have any listeners that are that are athletes and that that understand what a team practice is, everybody kind of does similar things. And either before practice or after practice, whatever whatever sport you're in becomes tends to be if you're in a team based sport, tends to become that's when you get your individual work. And so from a training standpoint and from how we kinda of run our run our weight room, either before our team session or after, depending on time, or on another day we might not train, is that's when you can do your individual work. And that's when we can work on your weaknesses or maybe not a weakness, but we'll call it a constraint where that's an opportunity for you to try to improve in a certain area. We're not going to neglect our strengths, but we're going to try to see where can we prove. If, if it's mobility, here's what you're going to do. If it's if it's speed or if it's power or if it's conditioning, that's that's holding you back here's the things that we can try to work on and we're going to work within your own personal schedule to find out when and where we can place those activities in um, to try to help you improve the to the best of our ability because we do we prioritize development we prioritize improvement and getting better and we, we joke that's our company motto when everybody leaves they hit a sign above the door where it says i just got better so it's we we try to impress upon our, our, our athletes that it's not about what we're doing but it's the mindset that we bring into what we do um, that's really going to determine the amount of results that you're going to get. Yeah. So, yeah, the strength and conditioning room and, and your role as a strength and conditioning coach is to uh, make the athletes uh, uh, more uh, resilient physically, mentally, emotionally. What have you found to be the uh, truest truth of uh, strength and conditioning. What is it that strength and conditioning provides that uh, specific practice, like sports practice doesn't bring or uh, psychology doesn't bring? What is it about the strength and conditioning room that is unique and special? Is there anything in particular that comes to mind to you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that comes from from regularly organized training is is confidence, is improved self-confidence. And I say this to interns and young coaches that I have the opportunity to try to help is that too many times coaches get fixated on 
the the sets and the reps and the exercises, whatever. It's it's not about that. It, it, like the biggest thing that you're going to be able to develop from an organized, consistent strength conditioning program is improved self confidence in the athlete. They're going to believe that they can do things that they couldn't do before. When I've seen an athlete do a pull up for the first time and they've never been able to do one before, the expression on their face is priceless, right? It's an it's it's a it's a it's a feeling of empowerment. It's a feeling of of ownership that they've actually you know they put the time in and they put the work in they they got better, and that's something that they can take away with them to anything to skill development within practice to. Um, a group project that they might have to do in in a classroom, or it might be something that they need to do when after school, after they're done with their collegiate career. Um, it's going to be something that they can take away with them as they work on a team, as they work in within a business, or they they become a teacher, or they become a parent. The feeling that if I do something consistently enough, it with enough intention and enough deliberate practice, I have the possibility that I can improve and I can get better at something. And that kind of lends us to, you know, under, getting them to understand what, what having growth mindset is and all those types of things. And it has very little to do with the exercises that we choose to do. It's much more about the intention in which we decide to put into that exercise that we, that's prescribed for us. So that's probably the biggest thing that, in my opinion, that a lot of athletes will get from an organized strength conditioning program is that developed self is that improve self confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. And would you say that um, in order to deploy the technical, meaning the programming that everybody has to follow the plan, uh, that you you need a specific culture to be able to deploy that? And 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 if so, if the culture is important, which it sounds like it, because if somebody's hitting, you know, the sign that says I just got better, uh, there's clearly some culture development there that is important. Yeah. How, how do you develop culture with your your staff and with the, the teams and, and athletes that you work with? Yeah, I think culture is pretty much everything. It's almost this this. Um... Uh, nurture versus nature, right? So like nature, like you're going to have talented athletes, right? You're going to have, well, athletes with really good genetics, right? That, like that's nature. And what happens is we want to put them in an environment where they're nurtured and they can showcase their talents as well as improve the things that they might not be as good at. An environment is everything, in my opinion, for that. And you can call it culture. You can create environment. You can call it whatever it is. But culture is really just shared values and, and beliefs. It's a belief system. And so within our belief system, um, it, it's extremely important that every athlete understands that they can improve and they can get better. Like that is a that's an important part of what we do in the culture environment that we have. It's very it's positive. It's safe and it's disciplined. Like that's very important for us. And the programming that we're going to be able to give them is going to be like I said before. It's going to be structured. It's going to be efficient. It and it's going to be organized. It's going to be organized in, in the philosophy that we kind of have within terms of training. Is it's 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 you know it's good. we're going to try to reduce chance of injury. We're going to make them better athletes. We're going to educate them. And um, it, it, those are extremely important things to be able to have within our culture and get them to understand um, what it is that we're doing from a training standpoint, what it is that we want to do from a programming standpoint, when what it is we want to do from a, an environment standpoint. 
and that's all going to be solidified by the things that we ask them to do on a daily basis or expectations, which are non are non-negotiables, which is accountability, respect, and work ethic. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of threes, right? Everything is like a little uh, done in threes, and I think you can remember three things pretty easily. Um, but it's it, it allows us to be able to clearly explain and define what it is our environment is, what our expectations are, what we're going to do for you, and at the end of the day, like it, it's up to you to reap the rewards or reap the benefits. You just got to put the work in. You got to be, you got to be willing to be held to hold yourself to a high standard and you got to be able to treat everybody with respect and you got to be able to work hard. If you can do those things in our environment, then it kind of like starts to create like a little bit of a snowball effect, right? If you start to do those things on a daily basis, um, you're going to start to see results. And then what starts to happen within our culture is that we teach them it's not about me it's not about what i write down on a piece of paper it's about you having ownership within the process this is your career this is your season it is not mine i am simply a guide that's going to help you along the way for to help you achieve whatever it is you want to achieve if you say you want to accomplish this and your actions don't match that i will tell you like you are not helping yourself so and that's and that's clearly understood by every single person that comes into the weight room. They, they, they understand that and they feel that. But more importantly, the upperclassmen within the program tell the new kids that enter the program, this is how things are. Like, don't try to go against it because this is what we do. And if you don't do what we do, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb and you're going cl- to be – you're going to be recognized, not not positively recognized, but you're going to be recognized to, to, to be able to change your behaviors to fit the demands. And if it doesn't work, then they usually don't last very long. Yeah, what happens to those athletes that, that don't last very long? Do they still continue to play or uh, is, is their career over? It depends. Sometimes they decide, like, you know what, this isn't the place for me. Like, it, it's sometimes it's too structured and it's too disciplined. But I am very fortunate to be able to work with – um, some sport coaches that kind of have the same belief system as, as I do. And so that there's really no disconnect from what happens within a weight room and what happens in the practice arena, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no disconnect. If there is a disconnect, it becomes much more challenging. Just like if you're working with people, you know, one-on-one, but then they have a different coach who has a completely different, different belief system than Carl does the athlete starts to get confused. And when the athlete starts to get confused, then they can pick and choose which way they want to go. Within our model and the way we kind of run things between you know, our, our practice and between training, the belief system is all the same. The culture is all the same. So the athletes don't, don't really have a choice to make. Well, they always have a choice. You can do things, do things to the, uh, as everybody else is or not do things as everybody else is. Like They can always make that choice. And if they start to make the choice where they go against the culture or they're not working for the culture themselves, that's when they, they stick out in a negative way. And sometimes that could lead to maybe not playing time, um, not producing to the expectation they want to um, maybe looking inward and realize like what do I how come I'm not performing to my expectation what do I need to do and so some of that self reflection is always a good thing because then you then if if it leads to some growth if it leads to playing the blame game and playing the victim then that usually doesn't last very long so they right. might choose to go somewhere else or or end up retiring or whatever it might be.
Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And do you have good relationships with the sports coaches? And are you are you in alignment, or or are there uh, some differences that have to be settled uh, in order to uh, yeah provide the best service for the athletes? Uh, yeah, how does that go for you? No, it's it's. I'm very fortunate to be able to have really good working relationships with with the sport coaches, and, and sometimes within strength conditioning and performance, sometimes that always doesn't work out that way um, because sport coaching in in the U.S. is a little bit different, right, than it is maybe in Europe, where you have in Europe you you have to undergo in other parts of the world you have to undergo like taking exercise physiology and taking coaching methodology and pedagogy and different biomechanics. So coaches around the world sometimes have a little bit of an understanding of how to sequence and how to program and how to structure practices and periodize. Whereas within America, like a lot of our coaches don't have that experience. They're, they're not, it's not in their formal education unless they took an exercise science or biomechanics or kinesiology as an undergrad. And that usually isn't the case. Most of coaches in America get jobs because of their athletic career not of like what they what they know so that's where i think strength conditioning performance coaches uh, you know athletic performance coaches whatever you want to call us are really important if the sport coaches are open and receptive to what it is that we have to say and how we can ultimately help them you know and sometimes it, it it is it's a lot of it's a lot of teaching and it's a lot of getting them to be to understand what stress is applied, right? Because everything is a stress, physical stress, practice stress, financial stress, phys- uh, social stress, academic stress. Everything is a stressor. And sometimes that we might even manipulate and, and adapt to what it is that we're prescribing from practice and training standpoint to allow the athlete to adapt from that stress that, that we're applying to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's almost like... Uh... Yeah, you're you're more than just a mechanic. You're 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 also uh, kind of programming the race. You know, you're getting them ready to be on the field. Uh, it, do do sport coaches uh, come and um, check in with you to learn from how you're doing things? Uh, yeah, because it seems like strength and conditioning, which may have uh, seemed like this like separate thing that's just an accessory is actually a huge influence in how uh, a sports team is run and how each individual athlete thinks about their bodies and their crafts. I'm just curious uh, to hear if, if, you've, if you've noticed or if you're feeling like uh, the strength and conditioning room really has a, a bigger influence than what maybe uh, a perceived. fan... Yeah, yeah the, the, yeah. Perce- the perceived fan thinks thinks it, it really has. Is is that the case, or is that just something that I, because I'm a fan of strength and conditioning, <laughs> I'm just projecting into the world? No, you're 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 spot on. I think uh, you can probably see it a little bit more when it comes to like mainstream sport education and and sport news. They'll talk about like what athletes are doing from a from a preparation standpoint and how they're training. You, you see it a little bit more prevalent within you know, social media or on like ESPN probably than it was maybe 15, 20 years ago, like where their off season training wasn't as uh, public. Now you can see things a lot more. Athletes will post their own videos. And um, I think it's really, I think it's really important nowadays. And I think a lot of coaches that start to understand how things have adapted and how things have progressed in terms of not only just using technology to be able to monitor and be able to track 
progress or what it is that we're doing like from a load standpoint but also from a understanding of of how can i best prepare our athletes for for com- competing and keep mm-hmm. them the most healthy right whereas maybe before and you know i i kind of you know grew up and kind of developed during these times is when um more was better and just you know just working hard was good enough whereas now i think there's been a paradigm shift there's always shifts right you always go to one end of the spectrum and you kind of always find the middle point is probably the 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 place to kind of live the the most where how can we best effectively keep our athletes healthy but also prepare them at the same time i think that's it that's a that's the secret sauce right like how can you do that and it's not just from training alone and it's not just from from skills and in tactical technical work all the time i think it's a it's a blend and marrying of an understanding all, how all those principles kind of work in conjunction with each other to best benefit the athlete. Mm. And I think the coaches that best understand this or are most willing to say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know. Can you teach me how to do it? Those are the ones who have, you know, adapted the most. And those are the ones who I think are benefiting the most. Like I think in classic example, I don't know um, the people at Alabama football, but I do know that, Nick Saban realized that they, they, they wanted to make a change within how they did strength conditioning and they brought in somebody and I don't know who the guy is. I don't know his name, but I just know of like things that they put out where everything is much more scientific. Uh, everything is a little bit more structured. Everything is a little more emphasis on quality versus quantity. And I think they've been happy with the results and, you know, it's, it's show, showing and, and they don't have as many injuries and, and they're, and they're winning. Mm, yeah, that's huge. Um, yeah, my mind is going in, in in various directions, but right now, where where you where you brought me to was in this this idea that uh, having a state of the art training facility doesn't mean that you're going to produce the results, for example, and that uh, sometimes less is more, and it depends on how well versed you are in uh, just human biology and physiology and how how the body operates, and then being able to take these universal prescriptions and apply them to the individuals according to what they need and who they are and how they function. And then there is the layer of, uh, that's the kind of the, the, the science of the body, human performance in general. And then you have uh, methodologies, techniques, uh, the different ways, the, the particular practices. Okay, we're going to back squat. What is it, a low bar back squat? Is it a high bar back squat? Is it a front squat? Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to squat? What's what's the technique, the method that we're going to follow? And then how are we going to prescribe this? And of course, this depends on the season and uh, wherever people are standing in their progression. And then you have the technology, which is the equipment that you use and, and the facility itself. What have you found is the most important um, update that needs to happen yearly uh, for for you as a coach and, and for your staff? Is it is it the understanding of human physiology? Is it the understanding of the application of a methodology? Is it uh, improving the methodology itself? Or is it uh, getting new technology and new equipment in and spending more money on the facility? Like, where does the update has to, have to, you know, where, where do you have to upgrade, basically, uh, most in often? My, in my opinion, understanding the human psychology. It probably, you know, it's one of those things you never, you didn't mention at all, but in terms of like how I coach and how I want my staff to be able to coach, it's, 
it, it's we are in a people serving business. We are in a service of helping other people try to improve. And for us to be able to help others improve, we number one, we have to improve ourselves, but then also we also have to develop our relationship building skills to best connect with another human being. Because it doesn't matter how technical savvy I am, how technologically advanced we are. If I don't have the human interrelationship skills to be able to influence somebody else to do something that they, number one, didn't think they, they could do themselves, or number two, didn't want to do themselves, then it, you know, the, the technology and the, the bells and whistles don't matter at all. So a lot of it truly comes down to um, understanding human psychology, uh, being emotionally aware, being emotionally intelligent, being um, cognizant of all those stressors that are going on within somebody's world, right? Like we, we don't know them all unless we're willing to ask those questions. And somebody isn't going to be as forthgiving, as forthgiving to give that information if they don't feel secure and comfortable with that individual who's going to be asking those questions. So I know may not be the most sexiest answer, but in my opinion, I think that's probably one of the biggest things is to constantly upgrade and evaluate how can we connect, how can we develop a relationship, how can we effectively communicate to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love that you're saying this because I spend 99% of my time talking about <laughs> emotional fitness and the importance of emotional intelligence and the application of it and the psychology of the whole thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're saying this. And I, and I think for many, it may be surprising because when they think about a strength and conditioning coach, they're probably not thinking about emotional intelligence or creating a safe space for sharing, uh, a safe space for development. Yeah, so it's, it's very cool to hear you say this. And uh, where my mind goes now is is I'm curious to know what, what does it look like if you were to draw a roadmap of the experience that an athlete has when they come into your weight room? What does it look like from the moment they they uh, they join you for the first time until they're, they move on and, and maybe go pro or end up retiring? What's the arc like? I'd love to say it's linear, but it's it's pretty much a <laughs> non-linear line. Um, a lot of it truly comes down to how prepared they are when they enter. And whenever I talk to a recruit, there's three things that I often say to them that are really important. When you go to a college, no matter whatever college program you go to, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, whatever level it is, there's three things that are really, really important. Number one is you have to be able to compete at a high level. So when I say compete, you have to be willing to understand what 100% is, 100% effort. You've got to be able to get yourself to be uncomfortable. That's the first important thing. Uh, nobody should be, nobody should outwork you. Like that's something within your control. Number two, be flexible and be mobile. Now I know those are two different terms, but they kind of go hand in hand in my opinion. Um, because if you're flexible and you're mobile, you're able to get into positions. Um, and if you're able to get in positions, it's going to be that much easier to train. And then the third thing is to be in great shape. Because if you have a high level of aerobic fitness, it'll you would you won't get tired. And we, when you don't get tired, you can display your skills longer. And when you can display your skills longer, you can put position yourself on the depth chart that much better. And when you don't get tired, you can bend, be mobile and flexible over and over and over again. And what starts to happen is when people fatigue and they can no longer bend, that's when they're usually going to get injured or 
put themselves in a position where they're going to get injured. And then when they get injured, now it's, it's going to be a longer road back. So if they can compete, if they're flexible and mobile, and they're in great shape, that helps them a lot. So what happens is if an athlete is unprepared, they don't know how to work hard, they're not mobile and flexible, and they're in poor fitness, they, they don't enjoy the experience mm-hmm. because everything is hard. Everything is challenging. And then, you know, we have to teach them these things. And sometimes they get frustrated. And sometimes they, they don't like to hear it because they've always been good and that with the work that they've done before. And now we're telling them, you know what? The work that you do now has to be different. The emphasis has to be different. The intention and the purpose behind it has to be different. And so that's that's an important part of the puzzle is if they can start to master those things, then the line for them in terms of their progression over time starts to look a little bit more linear. But if they don't have those things, then it's going to be steps backwards before we can go forward. And so that's part of the process. And the other thing too is like I talked about psychology before is how do they speak to themselves? Like I think that's one of the most important things that that the athletes that I'm able to work with um, hears from me pretty frequently is to choose positive words. Don't speak to yourself in negative words. Choose strong action sentences and words that you can do versus weak, poor words, right? Because then your your body hears everything that your mind says. So when somebody says can't frequently, we have to often correct them out of that and say, well, you're not able to do it yet. You know, we talk about the power of yet, like just add yet to the end of it. Because then that's going to change your perspectives on how you look at something. But if you say can't, that's kind of having a fixed mindset and you're not able to get better at it where that's not what we want to do. We talked about getting better before and that's the attitude that we want to have. Those are the words you have to be able to use too. And you've got to be able to speak to yourself in those positive ways so that you can actually get better. And like I said before, it's not about the exercises. Like everything I'm saying to you, like we even talked about like exercises. It's not about the exercises. It's about it's about the, knowing your why of why you're doing this and, and how you do it matters so much more than what you're doing. So um, so in terms of an athlete's arc and their progression, a lot of it depends on the skills that they come to a university with or they come to a school with as well as like how prepared they are. And if those things are set in place, then it's, it's going to be much easier for them to be able to go through their path. But if they don't, then we've got to develop those skills within them. And we got to hold them to that standard quite regularly and quite frequently. And again, at the end of the day, it's up to the athlete if they want to improve at those things or not. Mm-hmm. If they want to improve at it, usually what starts to happen is they start to see success start to happen. When And when you start to see success happen, then it becomes, like I said before, like an avalanche. It becomes addicting. Like you want to keep doing it. And you want to keep building those habits. You want to keep improving. And then you want to help other people along too because you understand how powerful it is. Yeah, that's huge. And and um, how do you guys measure success in the in the strength and conditioning room? So if it's not about uh, the reps, it's not about the load. Yeah, is I it mean, about the will, wins we, or what? We, we will test. I it, well, wins are out of our control too, right? Because you know, we like I tell athletes, we're we're working on the physical side, right? We work on the physical side. And if you look at a technical tactical model, right? You've got technical skills. And te- technical fitness is knowing your strategies and you have um, – or sorry, yeah, no, that's your skills. Your tactical fitness, which is understanding your strategies and systems and plays and all those types of things. And you have your physical fitness, which is kind of like where I'm kind of working on. And if we can improve your 
your speed, your power, your strength, all these types of things. We can help you perform those skills harder, faster, and longer. But now around that is all your emotional fitness, your psychological fitness, like your spiritual fitness. Those That kind of like holds and binds everything together, which we have to play a hand in. We also have a sports psychologist that helps too and serves as a guide. But wins and losses are going to be much more difficult to be able to uh, pin back on, on strength conditioning, right? A lot of that comes back to recruiting too. Like if you don't have enough good, good players, you got no chance of winning. Right. Like, so <laughs> recruiting plays a large role in that too. But how do we measure success in terms of, in terms of the weight room? It, it's probably how healthy our athletes are, like how available are they to be able to play and perform. And, and that's, that's challenging too, because there are things that are you know outside your control is like I often say, we're like our number one goal is to reduce chance of injury. Like we can't prevent everything but we can try to reduce as much as possible. So a lot of that comes back to educating because, yeah, we might apply a physical stress in, in, within practice and training, but what you do aside outside of the training realm is the most important. Are you eating the right way? Are you sleeping the right way? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you recovering? Because your ability to recover is going to directly impact how you can perform with, at practice or in the gym. So a lot of that comes down to practice. So, so availability is a big thing that we look at, but then also... The other thing that we look at too is is if our athletes are improving from their from their metrics. You know, if 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 somebody's goal is to improve their lower body strength, we'll look at that. You know, we'll look at their vertical jump, we'll look at power, we'll look at their broad jump, we'll look at their strength. That's definitely something that we look at too. And really, um, and this one's tough to measure, but I am much more of a qualitative coach than a quantitative coach. When I say qualitative coach, I I, I look at movement, and we use exercise to enhance movement. And that's where we kind of look at things. But the biggest thing I want to look at is how are we moving? Are we moving efficiently? Do we have energy leaks? Do we? Do I see you breaking down when you stop and decelerate? Like if we do, then we're going to need to be able to address those things. And those things are a little bit harder to measure. Um, but a lot of it is based on like how an athlete feels. Do you feel ready to go today? Do you feel 100%? Are you sore? Are you tight? Like how are you adapting to the training that we're imposing upon you? So... It's a it's a multifaceted way that we would measure how strength conditioning how successful strength conditioning is, but like number one is probably keeping them healthy. Mm-hmm. And 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 to to kind of go by feel like that, uh, is it all about self awareness, or do you use tools to be able to measure that? Is there any like device? Do they wear like a puller strap? Do they have a whoop band on? What? How does that work? There are devices. Yeah, I mean, you can measure somebody's HRV, um, and there are systems out there to be able to measure those. Uh, we don't have those in terms of technology. We don't use those, but a lot of it is self-awareness. And self-awareness is something that you can have with you for the rest of your life. So the self-awareness is a large role in how we coach and how I personally coach is really trying to get an athlete or an individual to understand their body, their mind, and their spirit, right? And, and using exercise to be able to try to get them to understand how to sense and feel those three things because if we can sense and feel then you can control and change you know in and i spoke to an athlete yesterday about writing things down and about um you know having a performance journal and you know so you start to understand when you perform well here's what i did before so you don't leave success to chance we're having a plan we're developing routine so we can understand how to become a professional in everything that is that we do mm. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, talking about profession, I mean, you've been you've been in this particular role in this particular place now for 15 years, you said. Uh, 
that's that's quite a while. What what keeps you coming back? What is it that drives you? Helping other people. Honestly, it, it's it's probably something I realized years upon years ago, and I don't know when, but uh, I realized with on some on my own self reflection of understanding what my why is. My why is truly helping other people become the best version of themselves. And, it, and it's cliche, like other people will say it too, but that is why I wake up. That is why I do what I do. That is why I say what I say is, is I really believe that everybody can improve. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that everybody has the opportunity to grow and learn and improve and accomplish. And when everybody starts to understand that and believe that within themselves – they can impact others and they can impact others and they can impact others. And then guess what? We might have a world where everybody, you know, is a lot more positive and who wouldn't want to be in a much more positive place. Right. So it is esoteric. It is high aspirations, but I've seen it and I believe it. And, you know, I think it's really important to have that, have your core beliefs and understand what your core beliefs are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you you have a family, you have kids, uh, you have a lot going on, and then you have all these athletes that you manage, and then you have a staff. And you you have a lot happening. Do you have any best practices that allows you that allows you to stay sane, uh, perform well, and also and also improve, or uh, are you just uh, winging it? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm winging it. Um, I, I do have routines. I, I am a creature of habit, and human beings are creatures of habit. And so, I do have a routine. I, you know, I write things down. I schedule. Um, I, I like order, right? I don't. I don't deal with a ton of chaos, but I do have structures and routines um, that are always willing to change. They're adaptable. Um, but I do like, and I think that keeps me, keeps my mind organized. It keeps my body rejuvenated and allows me to perform at my best. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's making sure that you have a schedule, making sure you have a routine, making sure that you have systems, right? Like I think it's, it's, I, I'm very much of a, of a systems based approach to how I program and how I train and how I kind of run my room. And I guess I'd say it had kind of like a systems based approach to how I kind of live too. Um, it's not robotic by means, but it is systems. Like I, you know, I, I value my health, so I'm going to do things that that prioritize my health. I'm going to exercise daily. I'm going to move daily. I'm going to make sure I drink a lot of water. I'm going to make sure that I prioritize my nutrition. And when I can do those things and I value those, I usually function at a high level. And if I, so that is a systems-based approach, just like a, you know, like how we would structure training. Like if we value movement, we're going to choose exercises that prioritize understanding how to move three-dimensionally. And if we value deceleration, then we're going to make sure that, you know, we have a systems-based approach to how we can improve our ability to decelerate. Um, So I think it really comes down to having systems and being organized. And uh, I wouldn't be able to do my my family life without my wife. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of like our, um, of our, of how we are able to best provide for them. Um, but that's one of the things too, is I want to be able to teach them how to be healthy. I want to teach them what it means to accomplish things. I want to teach them what it means to be responsible. I want to teach them what it means to be reliable. Like those are important values within myself. So I got to make sure I hold myself to those types of things. And if I can do those, then, then I think I'm doing all right. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And what are, what are some uh, besides the training and and the the nutrition? What are some other non negotiables for you in terms of just making sure that you're taken care of? Yeah, those are probably the biggest ones. I mean, um, I I've gone through different routines of reading. Like, there's been times where I read consistently for at least twenty minutes a day, and there's been times when I'll read consistently for 20 minutes a day, but it might be on my phone. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's – I'll still read, but maybe it's digitally versus just like with a hardcover book. So I'm still reading. I guess at least that's the way I justify it to myself. Um, and then there's been – you know, I've gone through other periods where I'll, will I make a concerted effort to, to stretch or to meditate. Um, I'd be lying to say if I'm consistent at it. Um, uh, it's, it's something that I, I think I have enough – awareness of my mind where I can meditate while I'm doing other things. So I may not be have to be continuously meditation where I am in a, a quiet place. Um, I think a lot of meditation is just being self-aware and being present. So I have the skill set to be able to do those types of things. And I also understand when I'm not being present of how to make sure I can get myself back to being present. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are probably the biggest things. Um, making sure that, that that I eat well, that I that I train daily, that I um, that I improve, that I try to learn something every single day, and that's where the reading kind of comes into place. And then, um, you know, just making sure that I'm aware and being present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, something that comes up for me as I'm thinking about you, uh, and and this is something that I I I struggle with, and that's why I'm I'm going to ask you this: is do do you have fun? Are you having fun? And, and <laughs> are you are you scheduling fun into your 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 time, or how does it go? Well, define fun. You know what I mean? Like, fun, I think fun is like the uh, it, fun is finding joy, and finding joy is is based on your happiness. And at the end of the day, you control your happiness. It's it's it, happiness is much more internal than external. Yes, I can I can watch a funny show and I can laugh. That'd be that that's fine, but and I'll do those types of things. But I think joy for me is is being able to impact others. Like when I come to work I have fun. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem like work to me. Like like when I get to be able to interact with another human being, like that's fun to me. Like that's joy. And sometimes the conversation might be serious or might be um maybe not as lighthearted, but that's still fun to me. So I guess it depends on how you decide to have fun. Um, it's not like there'll be, there'll be moments like where we might have date night and we go out and stuff like that where where it's kind of like just throw back and let loose of, of any kind of cares and freedoms you may have. But um, at the end of the day, like that's still internal. Like I'm deciding if I'm going to allow that to be happy for me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, one one hundred percent. I to- I totally uh, agree. And and I guess uh, it was a little bit of a trick question because let let's say if you're an athlete, uh, when you're a kid, you start playing a sport. Let's say it's tennis or uh, soccer or whatever. Uh, it's it's just fun. You you don't do it for any other reason than it being fun. And then eventually, once you start thinking about performance, you have to start to do all these things. And those things become grindy and uh, not so fun. It's not so fun to be in the in the weight room <laughs> suffering. It that's not as fun as playing the game. But th- those are things that you have to do if you want to uh, reach new levels of performance. And sometimes within that 
uh, performance world, high performance world, the uh, notion of doing something just for the sake of play disappears. And although you may experience joy uh, and you're able to access joy through the the grind, the 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 doing of a performance that is requiring that. Um, yeah, the celebrations, the moments of, of being kind of carefree um, disappear or they become fewer and fewer. And then eventually, uh, yeah, you become very serious and everything is um, life or death and uh, it can get a little lost. I mean, do, do you factor in play into uh, the weight room and, and the way that you, you work with people? And do you do that with yourself? I mean, you said date night and you have a little escapism and you have some carefree moments but yeah is play part of the game when it comes to helping people it is it, it's a it's a huge part of it because when you play it's has an inhibitory effect upon your body and it has an inhibitory effect upon your nervous system and if your listeners don't know what inhibitory means it uh it'll it unlocks right it's like taking the brakes off of your body a little bit whereas if you become you get you get put into a, a stressful environment sometimes you increase tone and you get a little bit more facilitated which can lock your body up a little bit and so when you play you learn how to relax and when you learn how to relax you learn how to perform and that's what we want to get them to do is we don't want them to be so tense and rigid right it, it, at the opposite, opposite and they they got rigid and then you've got uh, like freedom, right? And so we want them to be a little bit more carefree and not so rigid when they perform. Now, we might want them to be rigid if they're going to do a maximal effort deadlift or a maximal effort squat or bench, whatever it might be, because we need to get very stable. Um, but when we train, when we warm up, we, we want them to be a little bit more loose, right? We want to train them to be, understand how to have fun within the training environment. And you know, that's one thing that I've said before is we want it to be positive, safe, and disciplined, right? So we want it to be disciplined. They understand that we're going to get work done. We want it to be safe, but we want it to be positive at the same time too. We want to make sure that we laugh. Like because training isn't something you do because you're an athlete. Training is something you do because you want, to, you want to be healthy. And we're all athletes, regardless if we're competing in a sport or not. But we want to make sure that we, we, we embrace the process and try to have fun with it. Like it's – um, so yeah, we might play games. We might play catch. We might play different types of tag for a warm up, which creates an inhibitory feeling for us. And the athletes will start to realize, wow, I feel better after that. But it's also based on being able to read the room and having some of that emotional intelligence understand that I will always give them whatever it is that they need. If they are too loose and we, we our details are compromised and our execution is compromised, and we might need to tighten things up a little bit and make sure that we get back in, in, in the right state of mind so we can actually improve when we're not just wasting our time. But um, if, if, if everything is in working order and we've got good leadership and everything's in the, it, you know, their execution is a high level, their intent is there, then yeah, like I'm gonna crack a joke, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna chirp you, I'm gonna try to get the most out of you um, because sometimes I want you to prove me wrong or I want you to be willing to be challenged. Like, don't run away from a challenge. If I challenge you to do something, don't run away from it. Have fun with it and accept it. And if you meet it, fantastic. If you don't, you'll get it next time, mm. you know. And a lot of that comes down to culture. A lot of that comes down to the environment. But um, it is, it's, 
it's a fine line, Carl, I think, between, you know, training to win versus training to train. And that's, you know, Isvan Bayi's kind of long-term athletic development model, too, that's in there, too. But there was a great paper that I read on Olympic-level swimmers called The Mundaneity of Excellence. And they looked at these swimmers, and they looked at them over time, and they realized that the things that they did day-to-day were boring. They were mundane. They were mundane acts. But they did them with such intent and such execution, which is what led them to being Olympic-level swimmers, right? And there's a reason why very few are successful. There's there's more within the average than there are on the the extremes. And you do need to be wired a little bit differently, but you do need to embrace a process and fall in love with doing the things that other people may not think are fun. So you have to be able to find fun within the hard or like people say you got to embrace the suck you got to be able to find fun in the mundane and find fun in the fundamentals and find fun in the routineness of life and practice and when you do that it's fun makes sense to me and uh, I, I i totally agree and I, and I love hearing these things that's amazing and uh a, a place where i've seen you have fun and actually this is how we met it, it was in the nft space the controversial crypto uh world um yeah what got you into nfts and and how are nfts kind of playing a role in in the way that you are deploying uh your knowledge and strength and conditioning at the moment yeah i, I got an to this NFT space by exploring crypto and exploring and understanding what blockchain technology was. And I was really confused at the beginning of understanding what like what all these tokens were and what they were for and what their use cases for. And then I started to hear about NFTs. And the first place I heard about it was through DraftKings. They had um, uh, the Tom Brady drop and it's with his company called Autograph. And and I first started to understand them as dig- digital collectibles, you know, as as digital assets. Like I used to collect baseball cards when I was growing up, and I and I understood the concept of that. Then I understood the concept. Then I started to realize what a digital collectible was, and I was like, oh wow, like you can, you can, you can collect these. You can, and they're going to hold value. When the value that it's going to hold is whatever somebody else would would pay for it. And I started to understand what that meant. And then I started to explore more and get myself involved in the space. Then I started to realize what Web3 was, which is truly understanding that you have ownership within the Internet. right? The, the Internet, is, which we know it right now, is we have no ownership, is that the big conglomerates own our data and own the information that we give them. Web3 is all about trying to regain some of that ownership back, but also have ownership of the things that you – you know that are digital and we live in a digital world we live in a everything we do is digital this is digital you know what i mean like it's the way we transact is digitally like there's not a lot of people that carry around dollars or cash or, or like gold and silver like which is what people used to do back in the day um so cryptocurrency just made sense to me and understanding digital assets just made sense to me and through my web3 journey i've been able to meet people all around the world because so much of what web3 is built upon is, is is community and community is cliche but it truly is the people that you meet are going to direct be able to directly impact whatever it is you know the token you may have you if you have a 
strong belief within the token that you have and the artwork that you have that can help drive the value up of whatever it is that may be and the community truly runs the business and the community truly runs the project and so there has to be conviction within that community and i've been able to get myself involved with some communities that have high levels of conviction um and that spread the message that kind of like resonates within myself and so i've been able to uh kind of develop a platform to be able to share what it is that i know um about human performance about psychology about training uh, to anybody that's going to be willing to listen within Twitter. So, so that's how I've been able to leverage and be able to use my, my own kind of knowledge and wisdom to try to really help expand my reach, right? Because my current reach was, is the, was the athletes I've worked with in the past or the present. And I, I realized that there was more people that I, that I could truly try to impact. And Web3 and NFTs has kind of allowed me that grounds to be able to make those connections that I probably would have never met before, but also be able to help develop uh, my my voice to be able to impact, right? To influence, right? I, I like to consider myself um, a person of influence, not necessarily an influencer. Mm, that's that's a great way to put it. Yeah, you've been very active on Twitter, and you're you're really good at it. So I, I recommend everybody follows you on on Twitter. What's your what's your handle on Twitter? Is it Coach B Patel or no, it's B Patel five one five. My Instagram is the same, and and just trying to work on Instagram at the same time. But yeah, tw- Twitter is primarily the place to where I'm at. That's awesome. Well, maybe we can get some clips from from this uh, this episode, and we can we can get you on on Instagram going going as well. And and how how can people support you uh, or can can learn more from you? I know you you work directly with um, the athletes that you have under your roof, but uh, you you are venturing outside and you do have your your side projects. Is, is there any way people can support you and engage with you and maybe even uh, learn more about the NFT space? Yeah, so I so I do have a website, uh, CoachBPatel.com, and there's a lot of information I put up there. A lot of it was was a massive brain dump during COVID about kind of trying to collect every podcast interview, every article that I've been in, and and any kind of blog article I've ever written, and kind of put everything in one place. And I've created a number of resources um, to be able to help other coaches improve and help other individuals try to improve within. Um, within their own physical life or, or mental life or whatever it is that they may want to improve. Um, but I've, you know, I do have merch. Um, I've created digital programs. And I think what's the most interesting thing that I've done most recently is through my website, I do offer digital training um, through either consult or nutrition consult. But I do have like prepackaged programming that anybody can purchase. Um, and it's just for anybody that's looking to try to improve and they are staged within levels for between beginner, intermediate, advanced. And um, what's interesting is I branded them with my, with one of my NFTs, which is called a lazy lion. And through the power of ownership of a lot of these NFTs, they grant you intellectual property and they grant you the IP. So I've used the intellectual properties of my lazy lion to kind of blend my, in my web two persona in real life and my web three kind of digital persona together. So my line represents me. And I think it's a really strong um, portrayal of myself because in my opinion, lions are leaders. I consider myself a leader. Lions are strong. Lions are efficient. They don't waste a lot of energy. Uh, When they want to go for a kill, they go. When they want to rest, they rest. Um, So the symbolism of a lion really truly represents the symbolism that I try to portray with myself and how I coach and how I 
um, uphold myself. And it only made sense to be able to try to create uh, trading programs based off of my Lazy Lion IP. And what's really fascinating about what they did is they have um, an OG, like the older lion, and then there's a teen lion, and then there's a baby cub lion. And so I use each of those as representatives of different programs uh, to represent how training is a journey and how just because you do one training program doesn't mean that you're going you're, you're gonna to set every record on fire. Like it's Training is a, an accumulation of little things that you do over the course of time. So I really wanted to be able to portray that. But the thing that I did was is I was able to not only have digital downloads off of my website, but also package them as NFTs. And so when you purchase a one of my training programs called the Lion Strength Series, when you purchase them as an NFT, you have ownership of it. And you get the program, and it's the contents are unlockable. Uh, so when you buy the NFT, you can unlock the contents within it. And usually they're all four weeks. Some are eight weeks long. I have one that's 16 weeks long. After you're done with the program, you can gift it to somebody else because you own it. Or you can resell it back on an open marketplace. And then you can get your money back if somebody else chooses to purchase it. Um, or you can hold it. You can repeat it if you want to. But you now you own it. And uh, upon completion too, I'll send you uh, – it's called a POAP, which is a proof of authentication protocol. But you see another NFT that proves that you did it. So now you have um, a certificate like, you know what? No, I did this program. And people love to collect. People love to um, flex or people love to say, you know, I did this. And these are things that prove that you just did this. So that's how I'm kind – that's how I'm leveraging my um, – what I know and my, my skill sets to be able to use within Web3. That's amazing. Uh, I had a feeling <laughs> this was going to happen, which is that although we're coming to the end of, of this episode, uh, you're going to have to come back on the podcast uh, and maybe uh, we'll do it in, in a few months uh, from now when you have more data on how, how it's going. But I, I have a sense that any uh, coach out there that's listening to this is starting to get some ideas and thinking, wait a second, maybe I should be paying attention to the NFT space because where the business is going and where the industry is going is going to require to become well-versed in this technology to be able to um, uh, make a greater impact. So, uh, yeah, uh, if if you are willing to come back on, on the podcast in the future, that would be amazing to, to be able to share some of the, the intricacies of this. Um, Coach B, thank you for being here and thank you for joining me today. Uh, any Any final words, anything that you would like to say to wrap up? No, I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be able to speak on your podcast and speak with you. And then, um, you know, thank you for anybody that's listening. And feel free to reach out to me on via socials or through my website too. Um, happy to connect with anybody who really wants to get better and level up. Cool. And I'll leave the links in the in the description so everybody can can uh, click and uh, yeah. Uh, listen in or read in or even just uh, uh, join you in one of your adventures. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate you too. Thank you. All right.